morning. I'm so glad you are here to continue part three of The Quest. The Quest is our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes, and today's text has the tremendous advantage and tremendous disadvantage of being widely known. Now, why would I say an advantage? Obviously, if everybody in the planet knows a certain scripture, that's a good thing, right? Yes. Here's the danger. I have found over the years as a preacher that the more popular, the more widely known a text is in popular culture, just in culture, in the church, the more difficult it often is for people to understand its true meaning. The ability to be misunderstood grows exponentially when a text is known by everybody. You know this scripture. I don't know, preacher, don't put me on the spot. I may not. You know it. You can finish. I will get you started. You say the rest of today's verse. Are you ready? Here we go. <clears throat> to everything. It's, it's there as a seat. Turn, turn, turns the NIV. Uh, but yes, you got it. You got it. That's right. So to, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm, I'm having a little fun with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 was made popular uh, in, a, in a song. And really, they took it. And if you go back and look, to everything, there is a season, right? There's a purpose under heaven. Turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, 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 th- th- this uh, band makes it famous. And if you look, they actually stuck pretty close to the script. At the very end, I think, is uh, probably some, some anti-war protest. They changed the very last line from a time for war, a time for peace. It's a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. But, you know. Uh, anyway, the, the, the script, I hear this uh, scripture read in uh, funerals. It's, it, it, you see it all over the place. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. When it's read without the right lenses, uh, I think it can be really broadly misunderstood. You've got to have the right lenses, and you've got to promise me that before we walk through Ecclesiastes 3 that you will wear the right glasses, the right lenses for a proper understanding of Ecclesiastes 3. What do I mean by the right lenses? Well, you need two. They sort of work together. Uh, a few years ago, my, uh, my son got into uh, higher quality literature Uh, He had advanced from uh, picture books when he was about four into the really advanced stuff and uh, began reading the classic, you all know it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Enter the Lair. I'm sure you've read it. It's about Shredder and uh, his uh, Splinter and some underground. You you know, it's very serious stuff. And uh, Carson wanted wanted me to read that over and over and over. The problem is this. It was a 3D book, and it came with 3D glasses. Those glasses, cars lasted about four days, and they were shredded, which ironic because shredder figures into the book, but they were destroyed. But he, didn't, he still insisted, I read this book to him. Now, if you've ever tried this, reading a 3D book in 2D, every night I'm like trying, and you know, you got the red line, and it's offset with the blue line. Without those lenses to make it all come at you, it, it's like I'm sitting here with a migraine and a seizure. I'm like, read to yourself, right? You understand? Very difficult to do. Why? The, the stuff was on the page. I didn't have the correct lenses by which to properly view it. To read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you need the right lenses. On one side, to see this thing in 3D, on one side, you need the lens of the, I don't know the right, the sovereign, powerful, ginormous bigness of God. I know that's not a word, but the sovereignty of God, the 
power of God, that he's over everything, that nothing is outside of his control. And you've got to be able to read Ecclesiastes 3 with that on one, as a lens, right? The sovereign power of God. And also, the intimate, tender care with which he knows each and every one of you. The love of God. I mean the intimate love of God that he has for you. Now, all through Scripture, you'll need this. Not just Ecclesiastes 3, but all of Scripture must be read with those two lenses. The, the classic example is Solomon's daddy, Psalm 139. He, he learned from David. He learned about these lenses because in Psalm 139, he says, you know, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the other side of the dawn, if I go from heaven to Sheol or the other side of the sea, you are there. You're huge. You're immense. Your thoughts, if I were to count your thoughts, my head would explode. They outnumber the grains of sand, right? That's in Psalm 139. Here's what else is in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you've You've knit me together in my mother's womb. You formed me. Your eyes saw my unformed body. See that? The ginormous sovereignty of God and the care he has for your life. In one verse, in Psalm 139, you get both those. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body, and and yet, see, tender care, and yet all the days were written for me in your book before one of them came to be. He knows it all. He's in absolute control. He absolutely cares for your life. With those lenses, put those lenses on. Think about the, the, great, the greatness of God. Nothing's out of his control. He's sovereign. He's over everything. And think about how much he cares for your particular situation. The universal, the particular. Now let's read it together. Let's read the whole poem. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. It's beautiful. You see why uh, people would be attracted to this poem? You hear the word time over and over, and the rhythm, and we think about the march of time. But it's also, for those of us who have been walking through this quest, you also know this is exactly what Ecclesiastes has been driving at. Either or. Either this poem is the most beautiful and comforting thing you can imagine. And for a Christian, this gives us tremendous comfort. Or, if all we're living for is life under the sun, if there's nothing beyond the sun, if it's just the cruel hand of fate has dealt us the hand we have and we play that hand as best we can, this should terrify you. That, that, that's what blows me away. When, when, when this poem is read it, uh, by people who are, they have no faith in God, they're not living for anything beyond the sun. They would say, well, we sort of came from chemical nothingness, and we're just, when we die, we're just gone. We're in the abyss. You know, there's a time to be born, a time to die. I'm like, how can you sleep at night? How does this poem give you any comfort at all? 
This poem should terrify you. If all it is is, yeah, it's just sort of random. There's, there's nothing beyond the sun. There, I, you know what? There's just a time to be born, time to die, time for war, time for hate, time to kill, time to heal. You know, life just sort of happens and you just kind of move along and that's it, you're done. That's terrifying. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. There's no middle ground. Either, either there is a God and he controls everything and also is intimately involved in your life or there is utter hopelessness and despair. And what Ecclesiastes is trying to get you to see is stop trying to find some middle ground. Pick a team. What's it gonna be? Quit trying to live one foot in, one foot out. Well, I don't really, I'm, there's probably a God, but I don't really live in reference to him. I'm just gonna kinda go through my life. Yeah, well, there's a time to be born and a time to die and a time to kill and a time. Now, make sense of your life without God. Good luck. See, that's what Ecclesiastes is driving, and he won't let up. And this poem, to me, just does in lyric verse what he's been trying to do in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 through prose. Get us to wake up to our condition. So he bring, it's not surprising then that how does he conclude the poem? Verse 9. He comes right back to this question. You cannot keep dodging this question. What gain is there? You see that? What gain has the worker from his toil? Now, if on the other hand, if in the Christian worldview, there is a personal God who is overseeing all this, sovereignly in control, yet personally involved, well, then these seasons begin to make sense. Look at verse 10. I have seen the business that God's given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, did you notice that? God has given to the children of man. In other words, it's not just the random hand of fate that has dealt you these things. But that everything that's come in your life, God is in control. Not just things happen, God sends it. Now listen, that is difficult because, and we'll go back through them, uh, I'll say it again. God didn't just allow this stuff, God does it. That's difficult. Oh, not for the, not for the laughter and the dancing and the time to live and all that. But what about the other stuff? Did you notice in each of these little couplets, there is a bitter pill to swallow. And what he is showing you in this poem is that God is using all of these ingredients and he's putting it together like a cake. Hmm? He's taking all these ingredients and separately they're no good, but you take them all together in just the right amount in the way God does it and he creates something wonderful. He creates a cake we don't want the cake, we want the buffet. See, when it comes to life, we don't want the cake, we want the buffet. How does a buffet work? Well, at a buffet, I want that, I don't want that. I'd like that, that looks like a vegetable. No thanks. That has been deep fried beyond vegetable recognition. I'll take two, you understand, right? That's how it works. Go through this list and you tell me, would you not prefer the buffet? Right over the cake? I know I would go through the list. Let's just go through quickly through the list. A time to be born, a time to die. I choose born. Who's with me? Right? A time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted. Hey, I, lo I love the harvest. Give me the pluck up what's planted, the harvest time. I don't want the hard, sweaty work of planting and toiling. Just wake me up when it's payday. I want to get paid. I just don't want to do the work. Everybody would choose that. A time to kill and a time to heal. Duh. Let's pick heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, right? Everybody wants to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Hold the weeping. Give me the laughter. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Unless you're Baptist, give me dancing. 
Who would choose mourning? Seriously, who of us would say, I would, I would prefer to mourn? Time to cast away stones, time to embrace, refrain from embracing. Oh, come on. Who would choose breakups, awkward goodbyes, and partings? You know, you can go on YouTube if you want to cry. If you haven't had a good cry, you just say, I need a good cry. Go on YouTube and Google military soldiers coming home to the airport and reuniting with their loved ones. And they do it in sometimes surprising ways or whatever. If you can watch that without crying, you're... You like a time to mourn rather than dance, probably. <laughs> okay. It's unbelievable. Here's what you won't find. The sad goodbye at deployment. So who chooses that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Who would choose that? A time to seek, a time to lose. Give me seek, thank you very much. Time to keep, cast away, keep. A time to tear, a time to sow, you get the point. A time to keep silent, I wouldn't even know what that, I wouldn't even know what that was. A time to love and a time to hate. Okay, now we're getting real. A time to love and a time to hate. Who would choose hate? Give me love. A time for war and a time for peace. No one would choose war. No wonder that when the birds rewrote this song, they literally, they not only said, well, in each of these couplets, there's a bitter pill to swallow. They struck that line. Why? Because I would too. If I'm allowed to choose, give me the buffet. I would choose none of the things that sting. I don't want any suffering in my life. I don't want the things that make me mourn. I don't want any of that. I don't want the stuff that I see as bad. Give me the stuff that's good. And I'm here to tell you, God loves me too much to let that happen to me. Hey, preacher, how can you say that? Haven't you been at funerals where someone had their time to die and it felt so cruel? Haven't you seen a time for hate in a time for war, how could you say that? I know there's a lot of mystery here, but I know this. If I arranged my life to be perfectly configured to the way I want it, I'd make an awful mess of things. And I don't get it. I know, I don't get it. But that's where a Christian says, in the eternal, beyond the sun view, there's hope. See, if you're not a believer, if you're living for life under the sun, so far all you can do is take everything I'm saying and mourn and say, that's exactly right, it's unjust, it's unfair. But I trust in a God who sees beyond what I can see. You see that? And he is the one who's given a time to be born and a time to die. And all these times and seasons are in his hand. And I'm trusting what he's making will work together for my good and his glory, even when I can't see how. He's, he's making the cake. I don't know anyone who wants just the ingredients of a cake. I've never met anybody who's like, ooh, raw flour. Mm, mm, this is great. Mm. And now onto the raw eggs. Glug, glug, glug. Nobody does that. And a bowl of sugar. Well, actually, yeah, they might do that one. Yeah. But that's my point, right? Do you, are you with me? Nobody. And yet all of my friends like cake. It's properly mixed together in just the right way. In the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, all those raw ingredients that on their own, and no thank you, but put together. Well, if you're in the middle of one of those seasons, if you're right here today, and you've mustered enough emotional strength to come to church, I cannot imagine how this message is hitting you. I just want you to know I love you, 
and in the middle of your season, in the middle of your suffering, I get it, you want out. I would want out too. What I'm trying to say is Ecclesiastes 3 is a word from God to you to hang on. He knows what he's doing. Just hang on. You say, how can you know? Well, look at verse 11. He's going to give three reasons, and we'll close with these. Three reasons why God is doing all this. Why he puts the ingredients that he does in the seasons of our lives. It is a favorite scripture verse. I would love for you to memorize the scripture verse because I think it would be a great benefit to you spiritually. It comes in three parts to us. First, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I don't know which part of that verse you need to underline. Which part do you need to underline? For some of you, you need to underline the emphasis needs to be on the word time. (laughs) He's made everything beautiful Ah, in its time. See, God is going to make everything beautiful in his time. He does not promise to make everything beautiful in your time, on your timeline. See, he's going to make things beautiful. And right now, if you're struggling with this, going, how? How can he make this beautiful? I can see no redemption of this. Well, you just, you just haven't given it enough time. We're like, God, I want your promise to make all things beautiful, and I want you to make them beautiful now. I get it. But that's not the promise time or maybe you need to underline the word everything he has made everything beautiful that word beautiful means appropriate fitting suitable it's going to make sense we'll understand it better by and by well but that by and by may be on the other side of glory he's made everything beautiful you say he can't make something beautiful out of this what about this mess what about what about this terrible tragedy or this great suffering the word is what everything everything No, this is too ugly, you say. This cannot be redeemed. Hold up. What are you telling God he cannot redeem for his glory? Even the ugly things, God is working. Or the word he. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God does it. I know you hear people say when you're going through suffering, they want to be helpful. They say something like this. Hey, listen, time heals all wounds. That's not true. Time doesn't heal all wounds. God heals all wounds. Now, he may use time to do it, but it's he who heals. It's he who will wipe away every tear. God has made everything beautiful in its time. I've used this illustration before. You you know that um, uh, preachers love this illustration in talking about how this could happen. you know, you think about a, a beautiful rug like this one or a great tapestry that's hanging on a wall. If you go to a museum, you see a great tapestry. Well, you can imagine the weaver on the loom weaving that tapestry. Now, can you imagine with me if we look at the back of that tapestry? On the back of that tapestry, it's a tangled, snarled mess. There's yarn shooting off this way, and this string connects over here, and you go, well, I don't see how that connects over here, and quite frankly, this is just all knotted together. This part's matted together, and this doesn't make any design at all. It's a complete mess. It's a total disaster. This yarn shouldn't go over there, and how on earth could that ever connect to that, and what could possibly be the reason for this border, and what could possibly, and the tapestry turned around. Oh, wow. All our lives are spent looking at the back of the tapestry. And I believe, I believe, I know everyone's first words in heaven. 
I believe everyone's first words in heaven are going to be this. Ah. That's it. (laughs) Ah. That all makes sense. Every head will nod in agreement to the high and holy king and the judge and the perfect ruler of all things. Well, yeah. And we're going to say, well, Lord, if you had told me that, God said, if I had told you that, it'd be heaven. (laughs) Your head would explode, you know? Well, even if someone says, yeah, life's from the back of the tapestry, I just don't understand why. It's the why question that haunts you. I know. But what, what do you want? What, what if God would answer? His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We, our trust is not in our ability to figure out why God did something. Our trust is in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that he has made everything beautiful in its time. I mean, come on. What, what if he answered you? What, what if? God. You're praying, God, I just want to know why. Okay, I'll answer. Okay, what's the answer? 1,500 years from now, there'll be an alpaca in Peru. Amen. You're like, what? What kind of an answer is that? 1,500 years from now, there'll be an alpaca in Peru? How does that work? Oh, that's just it. I can walk you second by second through how what you're going through right now leads to an alpaca 1,500 years from now for Peru that I have planned that's going to somehow be used for my glory. And it's going to be, oh, it's going to be glorious. I've worked all this out. And I can walk you second by second all 1,500 years. What's the problem? You don't have 1,500 years, do you? No. So in the meantime, why don't you take uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 and Romans 8.28 and call me in the morning. That I am going to work all things together for your good for my glory and you can't yet see how so until then you're going to have to trust the truth of ecclesiastes 3:11. now i know i know i know that if you're going through suffering okay i know to hear that well understanding why is above our pay grade i know i, I still i wouldn't choose pain i would want out but our hope is not from running from suffering or being afraid our hope is that a loving sovereign god remember the sovereignty the love has allowed these things in your life for his glory. Do you remember when the disciples stumble upon the man who was blind from birth in the ninth chapter of John, and they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? And the poor guy's sitting there like, guys, I'm blind, not deaf. I got, you know, I have feelings. So which is it, this man or his parents? Because we've got to know the why a man would be born blind. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This was done so the work of God could be displayed in his life. And then what does Jesus do? He heals him. That's exactly right. And isn't it something, isn't it something that when he knit that man together in his mother's womb, he withheld his eyesight so that at just that right moment, he could restore it for the glory of God. Now, that is a glorious testimony, and it has given me great encouragement. But I bet that was no encouragement to that boy when he was eight years old and all his other friends got to go out and play, and he didn't. Try saying, hey, this is going to glorify God when everybody else can go go off to get a a job and feed their families, and he's begging for every morsel he has. When he's in the middle of his story, it's not encouraging. But step back, it's been 2,000 years, and that story is still encouraging you and me. It's still glorifying God. There's no way he could have understood how. But it's encouraged me. 
So I don't know what you're going through, and I know you long. Sometimes it feels so unjust. Why should a parent bury a child? Why, why, did this, why was this person robbed of health and long life? There it is. I don't know. But he's made everything beautiful in its time. The second thing is, I love this also. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. That longing you have that things are not okay, you need to listen to that. That will also lead you to God. Why should we expect good and not evil? Why should we expect a sense of fairness? Well, that's because God has left that groove that we talked about last week in our hearts. That that things cannot fulfill us on this under the sun. We've got to look for what's beyond the sun. I uh, quoted C.S. Lewis last week, and so I'm going to quote him again here. Uh, he, he nails this point. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. If a baby feels hunger, that's great. There's food. A duck wants to swim. That's great. Here's what he writes. If I find in myself a desire which no experience under the sun in this world can satisfy, it doesn't mean the universe is a fraud. No, it means the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. If you feel like this isn't just and there's so much suffering, good, look up, child. What do you see? Search for him. Seek him. Well, you see why I like Lewis so much. He, he writes, uh, I'll give you one more quote. He's like, look, so, so along the way in this life, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. We're not home yet. And that longing for home, that is eternity. That is Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Leaves us wanting more. And that brings us to the last point. Yet, yet. So he's going to make all, he made all things beautiful in his time. He's put eternity in our hearts. And yet, yet so that he, man, cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. Isn't that interesting? He designed it this way. I know a lot of people who cry out why. We think if you could just show me the why for what I'm going through. If you're going through suffering right now, listen very carefully. I know you think if you could just understand the reason why. I have to say something, and I I don't know how it's going to land. But you need to know a couple things. One, I'm not sure that if you did get to know the reason why, it would make things better. But two, and more importantly, you are not, in fact, promised in Scripture that one day in your lifetime, all the bad things you're going through will make sense. You're not promised that. Everything will make sense on the other side of glory. But until then, there's no promise. See, according to Ecclesiastes 3, man's brain is never going to be able to get around what God is doing. So your hope and your comfort is not that God has promised, it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make all this clear. I'll let you know exactly why I do it. No, 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 no. No, I promise. You may go to your grave not knowing why 9-11 or why that cancer or why that COVID. Okay. But your hope and your comfort is not in figuring out the reason why you're going through what you're going through. Your hope and your comfort is in God himself. But you say, but Tom, if I have to go through life trusting God without knowing the reason, that will require, like, faith in God. <laughs> Now you got it, see? To trust even when it doesn't make sense, even when he doesn't heal. And there's a lot of mystery to this. So what are we supposed to do with all this heavy stuff? 
Stand in awe of God. Glorify God. Look at verses 12 through 14. I perceive there's nothing better for them to do than be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink, take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything take it from it. Here we go. God has done this so that people fear before him. This is not cowering and afraid of God. This is healthy reverence and standing in awe of God. You are God, I am not, and we trust you, Lord. I trust you. And if you're here in the midst of suffering, oh, trust him. Trust him. Tis so sweet, we sang, to trust in Jesus. It's a bold promise in this passage. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. And all that remains to be said is this. Uh, how do you know? You know? H- how do you know? I mean, you look at a promise like that. He's made everything beautiful in its time. How do we know that's true? I mean, how can you know that God is working all things together for his glory and for our good? Is it not because... He's done it, and he's given us evidence that he's done it. Here's exactly what I mean. Is it not true that the ugliest thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the ugliest thing that ever happened in the history of the universe was when the sinless, spotless Lamb of God stretched out his arms on an old Roman cross And heaven's best, they shot nails through his hands and nails through his feet. And they put a crown of thorns. And that precious, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, his back was beaten and whipped. It was the ugliest thing. that's And the injustice. And what did God do with that old rugged cross? Did he not make it beautiful in its time? Are the scars not precious to you and me? He makes everything beautiful in its time. Jesus Christ. If you say, I can't remember the lenses of the sovereignty of God and the, and the intimate care, then just picture Jesus. Read Ecclesiastes 3, Jesus. A time to be born, a time to die. He died so you could be born again. A time to kill and a time to heal. He was killed on that Roman cross so you could be healed. A time to mourn and all the the mourning and all the the, the, the sickness. It was laid upon him. All that's left for us, the laughter and the dancing. See, in glory. A time for hate. A time for love. He, He bore the hatred of evil, sinful men to show us God's love. The Bible says we were at war with God. We were at enmity with God. And he let that enmity with God fall upon him on the cross so that we, well, we could have him as our peace. See, he's it. He's everything. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, he was born. And in the fullness of time, at just the right time, he went to the cross. And it wasn't the right time on Friday night. It wasn't the right time on Saturday morning. But, oh, early Easter Sunday morning, it turns out, it was just the right time for him to come up out of that grave with all power in his hand. And he spent days here on the earth. He spent just enough time teaching up the disciples and giving the Great Commission. And they ascended at just the right time to the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's waiting for right now? Just the right time. For that trumpet to sound and that sky to split wide open 
and he will come back. Until then, hold on. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Let's pray. God, grant to us the faith, particularly for those who are in the midst of suffering, to hold on, cling to Ecclesiastes 3.11, that you have made all things beautiful in your time. God, forgive us when we uh, lose heart. Forgive us for an evil heart of unbelief. Oh, protect us from that, God. Let us encourage one another on this journey home. And thank you, Jesus, for making sense of Ecclesiastes 3. And thank you, God. I pray for anybody who's still living under the sun. This, this, this poem is a, uh, a horrifying thing, a terrifying thing. So, God, I pray they would get saved so that they could have this poem as a great comfort and a great blessing to get them through the tough times. Open their eyes, Lord, and grant to those who are your children a greater measure of faith and hope that you make all things beautiful in your time. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.